Thank you. I don't need this. That's good. Okay, well, this is my first time in this church, and um, I know my name has been mentioned a few times, but these days we've all got short-term memory. So let me do a test here. What is my name? Wonderful. You guys are so far ahead of my other friends. Usually, when I you know, show up and I introduce myself to someone, they would say, okay, so your name is what? I say, C-Y. And they would say, Sai. No, C-Y. And then they would ask, so how do you spell your name? And I go like, which letter of the English alphabet do you not know? <laughs> and so sometimes, in my frustration, I would say, well, you really want to spell my name? Okay, here you go. S-E-E-W-H-Y. Okay? I've got a brother. His name is C-What. I've got a sister. Her name is C-How. <laughs> Some people actually believe that. <laughs> I do have a Chinese name. Um, ethnic Chinese. I came from Hong Kong originally. I've been in Canada for 26 years. But... Um, the only one who would use my full Chinese name is my mom. And whenever she does that, I know someone is in trouble. It's not her. <laughs> now you see why I'm called C-Y. Well, I also work for an organization. Is the PowerPoint up? Yeah, sure. I also work for an organization that goes by abbreviations and... Um, like the, our brother just said, I work for OMF. Okay? Now, what does that stand for? Here is one suggestion. Well, it, it just went. Okay. No, that's not what it stands for. That's what it stands for, Overseas Missionary Fellowship. But we are pretty old, 151 years to be exact. Old enough for you guys? <laughs> It was started in the year 1865 by someone called Hudson Taylor. Heard of that name? Okay, Hudson Taylor is to China, who William Carey is to India. Okay, yeah, so he's quite a well-known missionary. It all started in the year 1832. That year, a young couple in the UK, they were expecting their very first kid. Now, this is before the days of ultrasound scanning. So they didn't know uh, if the kid would be a boy or a girl. And this is also in the 1800s. So there's a little bit of, of uh, sexual discrimination there. Sorry, sisters. But they said, if the baby came out to be a boy, they would dedicate this boy to serve the Lord in missions to China. The baby came out. It did turn out to be a boy. Dedicate him, they did. But for the first 17 years of this boy's life, he turned out to be anything but what his parents were hoping him to be. His name is Hudson Taylor. For the first 17 years, he was straying further and further and further away from the Lord. Until one day, he walked into his dad's library, looking for something to read. And he stumbled upon the simple gospel tract, that basically changed his life. He became a born-again Christian at that point. Now, when that happened, his mom was far, far away in a different place, visiting a friend or relative. And so when the mom came home, this boy, as you all know by now, his name is Hudson Taylor, this boy went up to his mom to share this good news with her. Now, all the sisters, I know, you are, you know all the mothers here are you know, pretty young, so you may not have a kid that's 17 years old yet. But put yourself in the shoes of Mrs. Taylor. You've been waiting for 17 long years for this to happen. You've been praying for your boy for 17 long years. And now, this is happening right before your eyes. How would you have reacted? Hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? Dancing across the room, singing to the top of, of your lung, right? You know what she did? She said, I knew it would happen, get lost, 
I, I made that up, okay? But you get the idea. She wasn't surprised at all. How? Well, here's why. When she was far, far away visiting a friend or relative, all of a sudden, she felt this burden upon her heart to pray for her boy. And so she locked herself into a room and prayed and prayed and prayed like crazy. And she refused to leave the room until a sense of peace came upon her. And at that point, she knew the Lord will come through to her son. And he did. A few months after, Hudson Taylor himself picked up the call to be a missionary in China. He wasn't the, the first missionary to, took the go- to, to take the gospel to, to China. He wasn't even the first Protestant missionary to do that. Fifty years before him, there was Robert Morrison. But during the 50 years of Morrison's um, ministry in China, only a handful of people came to the Lord. Not his fault, because he had a lot stacked up against him. But he did translate the Bible into Chinese. So in some ways, Hudson Taylor was standing on his shoulder and building on the groundwork that he has laid. But during these 50 years, a few things changed. Number one, the Opium War. You guys may or may not be familiar with that, but that's when uh, the, the British kind of you know, the, um, imported opium into China, and it caused a lot of problems. So a war broke out, and the end result of the war is that the Chinese lost. And so, the Manchu government at the time, they were forced to open up the ports to the foreigners. And so, there's an influx of business people from the West into China, and along with them, missionaries from the Western world. Also around that time, there was a rebellion in China. They called themselves the Taipings. Well, anyone speaks Chinese here? Oh, I'm surprised. So let me translate that, okay? Taiping means peace. So they call themselves the heavenly kingdom of peace. There is one thing you need to know about them. They claim to be Christians. I hope you caught the word claim. Okay, that's all it is. They claim to be Christians. But when news of that went to the credulous West, the the churches, the Christians, they were kind of thinking, wow, this must be a Constantine of our time to China. He's going to transform the whole nation into a Christian one. And so they started sending our missionaries to China in the hope that they will be working with the Taipings to do that one of the missions organizations that believed or fell for that myth happens to be Chinese Evangelization Society. They went up to Hudson Taylor, and at at the time, he was still a medical student, halfway through his studies. And they talked Hudson Taylor into leaving his study halfway. They basically said, well, don't waste your time. Why worry about completing your medical studies? This is like the right time to go. You know, go to China now. Don't wait. And again, Hudson Taylor fell for that. So he left his studies halfway and went to China. The journey to China wasn't easy. And in those days, they used sailboats. Now, how do sailboats move? Wind. When there is no wind, what happens? It kind of drips, right? Yeah. And one time, there was no wind, and the sailboat was drifting towards a place called New Guinea. This is the 1800s. On that island, there were cannibals. And so the captain was saying, ugh, you know, they're going to show us their hostility, not by having dinner with us, but having us for dinner. (laughs) By the Lord's grace, that did not happen. March the 1st, 
1854, Hudson Taylor reached China at the ripe old age of 21 years, 10 months old. He wasn't prepared for the civil war right at his doorstep. Gunfire exchanged like right before his eyes every single day. He also came to find out, to, to his disappointment, that the Taipings were anything but Christian. If they did embrace Christianity, it was on the part of just a handful of leaders, and that only from political motive. It's almost like a banner that they are flying under. This is what he said. Of the spirit of Christianity, they, meaning the Taipings, knew little and manifested none. This is also civil war time, so the little money that he had with him did not last him very long at all. And so he ended up staying in pretty basic living conditions. Again, this is the 1800s in China, and there was no such thing as, sorry, I have to say this Sunday morning, there was no such thing as bathrooms. <laughs> so what did they use? <clears throat> Night soil pails. And I don't think I have to go into graphic details of what those are. Suffice it to say that they would stack up these night soil pails right next to where Hudson Taylor was living. Summertime, temperature goes up to about 40 degrees, so the whole place stings like hell. And before you know it, his arms, his, his eyes were inflamed, and uh, his health took a toll. That's part of the price he had to pay for being in China. Because of the Civil War, a lot of the Westerners, they were put in international settlements. And while there, there were other missionaries who had nothing better to do but to start gossiping among themselves. And so they were telling uh, Hudson Taylor, what are you doing here? You're not even done with your medical studies. You're not ordained. Go home. Don't waste your time here. As peace returned, Hudson Taylor tried to visit the interior cities of the country. And by doing that, he willingly gave up his consular protection. But going through these cities, he was probably the first ever foreign devil that anyone has seen. To this very day, we Chinese, we still call, sorry for the um, Caucasian brothers and sisters here, we would still call them Guai Lo, <laughs> which means foreign devil. Well, we still use that without meaning anything negative to our Caucasian brothers and sisters, so don't take it personal. But back in those days, they've never seen anyone blonde with blue eyes. And so they were honestly thinking, these must be foreign devils. The kids would get so scared that they would be throwing sticks and stones at Hudson Taylor. The adults, they knew better. Wow, someone from the well-off West. And so they would try to scam him, rob him, and do anything they could to take advantage of him. What saved him was his medical skills. After all, he came as a medical student. So he was able to do something with the sicknesses that the Chinese doctors could not do anything about at the time. That also got him in trouble. A lot of the Chinese doctors, they looked at Hudson Taylor and they said, what are you doing here? Trying to put us out of a job? Get lost. It's around this time that something interesting happened. He was speaking to, an, to a Chinese audience, and he noticed this one guy in the audience who was listening very uh, carefully, and he would be nodding his head, shaking his head every once in a while. And Hudson Taylor got all excited, and he thought, wow, this guy is so into it. God must be speaking to him. And so when he's done, 
he stepped down, he walked up to the guy, and he picked up a, ca- a, a conversation with him. The guy didn't respond much. And after a few, like, pushers here and there, the guy finally spoke up. Here's what he said. He said, Mr. Taylor, like, look at the jacket that you're wearing. Like, what are these buttons doing here? They don't do anything. And, you know, you have nothing to cover, here, to cover your chest here. Like, don't you feel cold? Well, I don't have a, a tie today. But what about the tie, the necktie that you're wearing? I mean, we Chinese, we're not so bad, eh? Are you ready to hang yourself anytime? You know what this guy did for a living? He was a tailor. T-A-I-L-O-R. So this is when the tailor met a tailor. And through his professional eyes, he was trying to make sense of Hudson Taylor's Western clothing. Through that experience, Hudson Taylor learned something. He learned that he is the biggest thing standing between God and the people that he's trying to minister to. And so, he started changing his attire. He started being dressed like the Chinese would be dressed back in those days. Today, it's a very well-known um, principle in missions. It's called contextualization. You go to Africa, you'll be dressed as the Africans would. Um, you go to India, you'll be dressed as the Indians would. Today, it's a very well-established principle. But at that time, it was a very radical idea. I'm Chinese. You look at me, and you would say, well, you're dressed no different from anyone else. But this is 2015. Back in the 1800s, during the Manchu time, you know how the Chinese would be dressed? Has anyone seen Chinese vampire movies? Okay, yeah. You know these vampires? They'll be dressed in like Chinese costumes, right? And they'll be hopping around like this, right? And when they go hopping around, what you'll see is something started flying at the back. Even as guys, they would wear pigtails, right? That's how the Manchu Chinese were dressed at the time. Wearing a pigtail is one thing. Making these pigtails presentable is another. Now, after all, Hudson Taylor is someone who, who had to deal with like, government officials and whatnot. So he wanted to make sure that you know, he comes across as being presentable. How do you do that? Guys, have you, have you guys ever worn a pigtail before? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, some have, you know, yeah. But the way to do it is to put lock, like pig oil, on your pigtail. Imagine walking around with a pigtail with, with lock on in the 40-something degree heat of certain parts of China. That's no fun at all. And for that reason, the Westerners of the time looked down on Hudson Taylor and they would say, huh, we are some civilized, genteel people. How come you are dressed like the barbarians? Well, that's us Chinese, by the way. And for that reason, Hudson Taylor was looked down a point. That's what he got to bear. So he was down, but he wasn't out. 1857. Hudson Taylor made a tough decision. He left the agency that sent him there because the agency basically made a mess of his funding and everything else. He was basically dumped on the field with no support at all. So he left, and he became what we would call a freelance today. And he was doing missions work all by himself. Two years after, he met the first love of his life, Maria, 
That's her name. And they got married. And together, they were running hospitals and schools to minister to the, to the poor. Some of you might be thinking, what do you mean the first love of his life? I thought good Christians only get married once. Well, as the story go on, you will know. But living condition was so tough that both of them came to a point where they knew that going back to the UK was their only hope for life. And so they went back. 1865, physically, Hudson Taylor was back in England, but his heart was still very much with the Chinese. His burden, especially for the interior of China. At that time, along the coast of the country, there were quite a number of Western missionaries already, but no one had the guts to go the go to the interior. Why? Because that's the interior. I mean, along the coast, um, you have western settlements. So Sunday afternoon, you can still sit down for a coffee. You wake up in the morning, you can still have bacon and eggs for breakfast. No such luck in the interior. Basically, you have to live like the locals live. And here's the most important, most killing thing. You are dying for a cup of Tim Horton, and there's just nowhere, nowhere to be found. Drink tea, please. And for a lot of Westerners, it's like, huh, you know, I, I don't really want to do that. But he knew in the interior of China, there were millions waiting for the gospel to come to them. His heart ached every time he thought of the people who would, be who would be passing into a Christless eternity. He actually counted it. Every hour of the day and night, a thousand Chinese people would die and go into a Christless eternity. So he felt burdened to go to the interior. But he was, he was one solitary person. How could he handle so many people in such a big place? And so one morning, he was walking on the sands of Brighton Beach with a heavy heart. But while he was doing that, a few truths dawned on him. The responsibility was ultimately God's, not his own. All that the Lord was expecting, expecting him to do was to step up in faith. The Lord will bless him. The Lord will use him. That morning, he went back to his church. And on a random page of the Bible, he wrote this. Prayed for 24 willing, skillful laborers at Brighton, June 25th, 1865. Two days after, he went to a bank, probably not the Hong Kong Bank or the Toronto Dominion Bank, but he went to a bank and he opened up an account under the name of China Inland Mission. And that's the start of the mission that I belong to today. Some of you might be thinking, but didn't you say that you belong to OMF? How come it's a different name? Well, over the last 151 years, a lot has happened in history. There was a point in Chinese history where all missionaries were kicked out of China. And so we really had no presence in China itself. But around those few decades, God opened up doors elsewhere in East Asia. So we started going to Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, like you name it. And it's at that point that we decided to change our name to Overseas Missionary Fellowship. Overseas meaning overseas from China. 1866, he had enough funding and enough people to go to China. 
And so on May 26, 1866, he set sail. It was on board a ship called Lamamur. Guess how long it took them to arrive Shanghai? Air Canada, Cathay Pacific, time difference, same day. <laughs> no. Back then, it took them four long months to reach Shanghai. And during that time, they were hit by two devastating typhoons. Those of you who were born and brought up here, typhoons are like hurricanes. Okay? Yeah. They almost lost their lives. When we send our missionaries these days, we would have a showy commissioning service right here. We would pray for them. And at nighttime, we would take them out to a good, in, uh, to a good Indian restaurant or Chinese restaurant or what have you. And we give them, you know, a, a, fair, a good farewell. Back in those days, when they sent out missionaries, they were assuming that these missionaries might never come back. One of the standard items on their packing list is their own caskets. By the Lord's grace, they reached China in one whole piece. Media response wasn't all that encouraging at all. The English-speaking media uh, in Shanghai, here's what they said. Why do not their people keep them at home in an asylum where they would be harmless to themselves and the community? <laughs> One of the big things that drew these criticisms being the way these guys were dressed. They were dressed like the Manchu Chinese, and the Westerners did not like it. But that's not the most devastating thing for Hudson Taylor. What's worse for him was an infighting that started within this Lemmermere party. And so he had to kind of do five fighting day in and day out just to keep the team together. Eventually, what saved the group was the death of his eldest daughter, Gracie. On their way there, Gracie developed a high fever, and they came to find out that she was infected with meningitis. Eventually, she succumbed to, this, to the disease. The others on the team, they looked at Hudson Taylor they noticed that he was spending more time with the missionaries than with this dying daughter. And so even the hardest of hearts melted. That's what kept the mission together. 1865 to 1875, the first 10 years of Hudson Taylor's ministry in China, things were going fairly well and they built themselves a missions compound in a part of China called Yangchao. You guys eat Chinese food? Yangchao fried rice? You heard of that? Yeah. I don't know if it came from that place. It probably didn't. <laughs> okay, but it's in that place that they built a missions compound. But these were the war years. So there was some anti-Western feelings in the air. And a riot broke out. A mob was coming at the mission's compound. Hudson Taylor got winds of that. So he ran with one of his best Chinese friends to seek help from the local government. They got to see the government official, and the official asked him a whole bunch of questions. And he said, I heard you guys do communion, right? We did that this morning. I heard you guys would eat flesh and drink blood. Lately, we've got a few kids missing. Did you guys do it? So they went back and forth, back and forth like that for over two hours. Eventually, the official agreed to send them help. But it was too late already. By the time they reached the missions compound, it was set on fire by the mob. Maria was there, 
she had to jump down from the second story to safety. And ever since then, her health never really got any better. It went from bad to worse. In the year 1870, she gave birth to a young baby boy called Noel, who lived for 13 days and then passed away because of the oppressive heat in that part of China. Three days after, Maria herself passed away. Hudson Taylor himself plunged into a deep depression. It's not until after he has met another missionary, her name is Jenny, that things started turning around. He got married again, and he pushed the ministry forward. So this is Maria, and this is Jenny, his second wife. 1875 to 1885, again, ministry were going fairly well, and so they needed more people. And so they started calling for more missionaries. I need you guys, guys to help me keep track of these numbers, okay? The first time he went out, he was calling for 24 missionaries, right? Not enough. So they started calling for 18 missionaries. Not enough. They started calling for 70 missionaries. Still not enough. This time, they're calling for 100 missionaries. What you're looking at here is not a $100 bill, okay? It's a poster. Any OCAT students here, design workers here? What kind of poster is that? This is the 1800s. This is a poster that was appealing for, for 100 missionaries. Still not enough. The next time they call for more missionaries, guess how many they would be calling for? 24, 18, 70, 100. Wild guess. A thousand, right on. But that's a huge leap of faith, right? Remember, back in those days, when you send out missionaries, you send them out with the caskets. So you're calling for a thousand people to volunteer to die? You know? Why such a huge jump? Well, it has something to do with a place that we are quite familiar with. This picture was taken in the year 1888. Guess where it was taken? A place that we are very familiar with. And I'll give you a hint, it's not Mrs. Auger. Toronto. This picture was taken in the Knox Presbyterian Church in Toronto. That church is still here today on a different location, on 630 Spadina. But back then, they were, they were pretty close to Young Street. They were sending out the first batch of missionaries from North America. What triggered that? Well, in the year 1888, some dude by the name of D.L. Moody, well, he's not just a dude, okay? You, you guys all know D.L. Moody, right? He was one of the top leaders, top Christian leaders at the time. He invited Hudson Taylor to come to North America and do a student conference, much like our Urbana today, only that it wasn't Urbana. But, you know, Hudson Taylor was the keynote speaker for that conference. And so the two leaders met, and Moody challenged Hudson Taylor. He said, all this time, you've been calling missionary, missionaries from out of the UK. Have you ever thought of calling missionaries from North America, from the States, from Canada? We've got good people here. Hudson Taylor's re response was, no, I've never thought of it, but I'll start thinking about it now. <laughs> There's a whole story behind. I'm not going to go into all the details, but out of that meeting, China Inland Mission North America was birthed, and that later became China Inland Mission Canada, and then China Inland Mission U.S. So it's here in Canada 
that China Inland Mission became an international movement for the very first time. So be proud of yourselves, Canadians. <laughs> Guess where the two leaders met? You know it's North America. You know it's close to Toronto. Does that tell you? Niagara and the Lakes. Okay, this plaque was set up in the year 1988 to remember the fact that 100 years ago, the two leaders met and China Inland Mission North America was birthed. So after the service, if you've got nothing better to do, drive to Niagara on the Lake. It's only about an hour away from here, and you'll find this plaque standing there to this very day. Eighteen ninety five to nineteen oh five. The last ten years of Hudson Taylor's ministry in China. Again, things were going fairly well until the year nineteen hundred. Anti Western feelings were again flying high. This time it's no longer localized. People were chasing after Westerners and driving them out on a national scale. It has gone down in history as the Boxers' Rebellion. Under the connivance of the Manchu government, the Boxers, which is a group of rebels, they were chasing after the Westerners. For those who refused to leave, they would kill them off brutally. Out of that incident, 189 Western missionaries were martyred. Along with them, 2,000 national Chinese believers. China Inland Mission was the biggest missions agency in China at the time. We lost 58 missionaries. Along with them, 21 children brutally tortured and killed. A lot of them were martyred when they were still kneeling in prayer. At the end of the day, it was an alliance of eight nations that barged into Beijing and settled the rebellion. These were the colonial years. So the Western nations, they weren't nice people either. When the whole thing settled, they went to the Manchu government and asked for an exorbitant amount of money in compensation. The idea was to turn back some of these money at least to the businesses, the agencies that have lost lives and property in the incident. Cousin Taylor was pretty old at the time, but under his leadership, China Inland Mission made a decision that wowed the world at the time. He told these governments he said, we are here in China to make friends with the Chinese people. And blackmailing them like that is no way to do it. Thank you. I'm not going to take a penny. And because of that decision, his name is still held in high respect, even among the non-Christian Chinese today. 1905, he took a last trip to China and he died quite suddenly while he was there. At this point in time, I want to backtrack a little. I will invite you guys to step into Hudson Taylor's shoes and see what you would have done if you were him. You were basically duped into going to mainland China 
because of a false ideology, a false belief that the Taipings would turn China into a Christian nation. You joined an agency that made a mess of everything. While serving there, you've lost Maria, the love of your life, and along with her, five kids, five of your very own kids. You were there to serve the Chinese people. What did they do to you? They went to no ends to scam you, to rob you, to take advantage of you. The Chinese doctors, they did their best to say, go away, make my day. You were misunderstood by people of your own. Even your fellow Westerners, they looked down on you. You've had to deal with one infighting after another within the missions. And just when everything was kind of looking up a little, boxes rebellion. You lost 58 of your closest ministry partners, along with 21 of their children. It's easy for me to say, yeah, I'm not going to take a penny from you guys. Put yourself in the shoes of Hudson Taylor. How are you going to explain that to the families of the bereaved? Put yourself in the shoes. Had you known that this is what you were getting yourself into, how would you have reacted? At this point, I can't help thinking of the prophet Isaiah in the passage that, we, um, that we'll be reading. He boldly and selflessly responded to the, Lord, to the Lord's calling. He saw the need, he heard the calling from the Lord. And he said in verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I, Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. Nice and crisp. There's only one problem. He hasn't quite got the compensation package or the job description. He signed up for a job, not knowing what it would entail. As soon as he has said that, the Lord said, Go and tell these people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of these people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. So what was God saying to, to Isaiah? What you said, here am I, send me, right? So I'm sending you to a people who would not Listen to you. Go. But let me tell you right now, for all your blood and sweat, no one will listen to you. This side of eternity, you will never get to see the fruit of your labor. Go. Isaiah's response. Then I said, for how long, Lord? At the back of his mind, he was probably thinking, well, Mr. God, you must be kidding. Maybe you meant just a few years. In a few years' time, I would be seeing the uh, fruit of my labor. <laughs> and God answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. What was God saying? You thought it's going to be just a few years? Think again. 
you are not going to see any visible fruit at all. This side of eternity, go! If I were Isaiah, I would have gone, Mr. God, are you kidding me? (laughs) That's what you're calling me to do? I'll tell you how I would respond to that call if I were Isaiah. Here's how I would respond to it. Hashtag YOLO. You guys know what that means? Okay, if you don't, here it is. You only live once. And every time you see that word on the internet, invariably, there'll be a picture right next to it. Five-star, six-star, seven-star hotel. Fancy food. A piece of Japanese sushi. Wrapped, not in seaweed, but gold leaf with bits of diamonds embedded in it. One bite, and it's tens of thousands of dollars. You get the idea. You only live once. Splurge on yourself. I would have told God, I only live once, and you're asking me to do this? Go, find someone else. I'm not here. Don't send me. By the Lord's grace, Isaiah did not say that. Hudson Taylor did not say that. They pushed on with the call of the Lord in their lives. And you know why? It's also because they know they only live life once. I'm going to ask a question here, and it's going to be, to be a bit gross, so don't give me the answer. That piece of Japanese sushi wrapped in gold leaf. Today you eat it, tomorrow, where will it be? Life is too short for us to go after things that just come and go. It's exactly because we only live life once that we want to go after things of eternal significance. And that's why Isaiah responded the way he did. That's why Hudson Taylor responded the way he did. It's because they know they only live life once. Sometimes I wonder, what would have happened had they actually said no? Would God's will, God's purpose be stopped cold in the track? Probably not. God doesn't need us for anything at all. God's will and purpose will still move forward. You know who gets to lose out on all of that? It's Isaiah. It's Hudson Taylor. They'll be losing out on all the actions, all the miracles, all the power they was going to display through their life and ministries. YOLO, you only live life once too. How are you going to spend the rest of your life? Hudson Taylor has often been remembered for this quote. And here's what the quote says. If I had a thousand pounds, China should have it. If I had a thousand lives, China should have them. And we end it right there. I'm ethnic Chinese. I came from the Chinese church circle. We're pretty good in using that quote. And we would say, see how much Hudson Taylor loves us Chinese? You know what he went on to say immediately after that? The very next line. 
It was in a letter that he sent to his sister. Here's what he said immediately after. No, not China, but Christ. Let me be the first one to say this since I'm Chinese. What's so lovable about us Chinese? <laughs> I go in and out of China quite a bit these days. And when I was there, I'm always on a defense. I don't know what the people would do to me. Even when I'm served food, sometimes I really have to look at the food. What's it made of? You guys have seen that video on online, right? An egg, which is made up of chemicals. High technology! That's what I'm eating. Let me tell you this. We Chinese, we are no more lovable than any other people group on the face of the earth, apart from Christ. We need Jesus, his love, and his salvation just as much as everybody, everybody else. And had Hudson Taylor gone to China merely because of his love for Chinese, he would have turned right back in just a few months' time. And I can't blame him for it. He went, he stayed there for 40 long years. Not because, not so much because of his love for China, but because of his love for Christ. Heavenly Father, I come before you and I give you praise and thanks for the listening hearts and ears here. Father Lord, thank you for a legacy that's so rich. But Father Lord, help us to remember, compared to your son Jesus Christ, Hudson Taylor is nothing. He's just a miniature reflection of what your, your son Jesus Christ is. So Father Lord, we don't want to remember or lift up this name. We don't even want to remember or lift up Isaiah's name. We want to lift up and remember you, your name, your faithfulness, Lord. Remind us today that we only live life once. How are we going to spend the rest of our life? I don't care how old or how young some of us are. We all belong to you. You created us, you redeemed us. Our life is yours. How can you use us, Lord? And how do we respond? Help us to serve you, not merely for the love of people, but for our love for you. Because your love compelled us, Lord. Continue to stir in our heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray.